Did you make any New Year's resolutions? If you did, how are they going? Perhaps you resolved to be more consistent in your personal Bible reading. If so, how's it going? It's good for us to read and study God's word for ourselves. But many Christians struggle with it. It's one thing to read a passage, but another thing to understand it, and more than that, to be changed by it. Yesterday, with a seed thought for tonight's Bible study, I googled questions for any Bible passage. Questions for any Bible passage. Top of the list, an article entitled Five Questions to Ask When Reading the Bible from Ligonier Ministries. Next, 15 questions to apply scripture to your life from Open Your Bible. After that, eight questions to help you understand and apply the Bible from the Gospel Coalition. And how about this one? 75 plus great questions. Why that to be 75 plus? I don't know. But 75 plus great questions to ask during Bible study from a website called The Deeper Christian. So I realized that I obviously wasn't the first person to have the seed thought that I had for tonight's Bible study. So as they say, with a little help from my friends, I give to you this evening three, we'll settle for three, three great questions for any Bible passage. Now if you're clever, you'll realize there's about 15 in here, but I'm putting them under umbrellas, okay? So it's three great questions for any Bible passage. And I hope that this will help us in our personal devotions as we head into this new year and also may be of some help to those who have a responsibility in dif- uh, for preparing uh, talks for different activities uh, in the life of the church. Last Tuesday in our informal Bible study and prayer we were in Isaiah 55 and we touched then on verse 8 where the Lord says to his servant the prophet for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. And in many ways, we have a a, a similar thought in uh, the passage that we've just read at the end of Romans 11, in verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. So we put these verses together, the united testimony of Old Testament and New. Old Testament, God's thoughts are not our thoughts, our ways are not his ways. New Testament, his wisdom and knowledge are such that his judgments are unsearchable and his ways are past finding out. But against that backcloth, we remember that it is in Scripture that God has revealed himself to us. It is in Scripture that he has revealed to us something of of what he is like. And though there is a sense in which he is altogether other than we are, and though there is a sense in which we can uh, never uh, fully understand him, yet we are called to seek to 
to learn something more of our God, that we might know him better and that we might love him more. And so that's why we should take the scriptures seriously when they're read in church, when they're preached, but also in our homes and on our own as we take our Bibles, as we open them, as we read them, as we search the scriptures day by day. So with the Lord's help, three great questions for any Bible passage. Number one, how should this passage make me think? Number two, how should this passage make me feel? And number three, how should this passage make me act? So our first great question for any Bible passage, how should this passage make me think. And depending upon the passage, it may uh, want to make us think uh, in various directions. How should this passage make me think about God? How should this passage make me think about mankind? How should this passage make me think about Christ? How should this passage make me think about myself? How should this passage make me think about others? I told you there were more than three questions, really. How should this passage make me think about God? We always need to come to Scripture remembering that our thoughts of God are always too small. So they always need to grow bigger. We need particularly bigger thoughts of his glory and bigger thoughts of his grace. Bigger thoughts of God's glory. That he's eternal and without beginning and without end. That he's almighty, that there is no good thing that he cannot do. That he is the creator. That we all owe our lives and our everything to him. That he is holy through and through. Utterly without sin. And that he is just in all his dealings. These things and more. What's his passage teaching me about God's glory? And and also about his grace. And particularly, not exclusively, but particularly the, the way God works in our salvation. How the Father chooses to save a multitude from their sins. How the Son dies in our place and for our sin, making atonement on our behalf. How the Holy Spirit affects that salvation in our hearts and in our lives, convicting us of our sin and bringing us to faith. In the Lord Jesus Christ. How should this passage make me feel about God? How should this passage make me feel about a mankind? And particularly in terms of the big plot line of scripture. Creation, fall and uh, redemption. Is there something here about creation? The glory of creation, man made in the image of God with an inherent dignity and worth. Or the tragedy of the fall, not just the fact of the fall, but the the tragedy of it. Total depravity. Not that any of us are as bad as we could be, but that none of us are as good as we should be and that our sin has affected every department of our beings total inability that there is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to reconcile ourselves to God 
but as well as the glory of creation and the tragedy of the fall, also the possibility of redemption, the promise of the Messiah, the coming of the Savior, Christ's life, death, and resurrection, the cross, the empty tomb. How should this passage make me think about mankind? How should this passage make me think about Christ? It was Charles Haddon Spurgeon, wasn't it? The famous Victorian Baptist preacher who uh, said something along these lines that whatever text or passage we are in, we should always seek to draw a straight line uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so whatever text or passage we are in, That's what we should do, not just because that's what Spurgeon tells us to do, although for many that would be reason enough, uh, but because really that's what the Lord tells us to do. He says, doesn't he, in, in the New Testament, speaking of the Old Testament, of course, the New Testament at that point had not been written, but he speaks of the Old Testament scriptures. These are the scriptures that testify of me, that about me search the scriptures and find me. The Lord Jesus is to be found all the way through the scriptures on, on every page. We see his divinity, that he's the son of God. We see his humanity, that he's the son of man. And whether in terms of promise or in terms of fulfillment, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension and more. And Jesus as the saviour of the world, particularly his substitutionary sacrifice, as he takes our place and he pays the penalty due to us for our sins. So how should this passage make me think about Christ? How should this passage make me think about myself? Questions like thoughts like this, how how sinful I am. Some texts, some passages are going to bear that in upon my heart and upon my soul. Or how how blessed I am that though I am so sinful yet I have a such a saviour and so great salvation. How unthankful I am. So much to be grateful for and yet so unthankful so often. How privileged I am. Or the privilege of being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and living as a Christian in this world. How accountable I am. The thought that we are accountable to the Lord for all that we are, for all that we do, for our every breath and for our every deed. How should this passage make me think about myself? And how should this passage make me think about others, about other Christians? How loved they are by God, how I should love them, how God's desire is towards them, how my desire should be towards them, how God is sympathetic in his dealings with his people, how we should be sympathetic in our dealings with our fellow believers. What about the lost, the compassion in the heart of God for lost souls? That should be our compassion and the help we should offer them and the hope we should give them in the Lord Jesus Christ. So how should this passage make me think about God, about mankind, about Christ, about myself, about others? It's not an exhaustive list, but we come to any text, we come to any passage. We ask, how should this make me think? And let's not just be selfish in this, but let's, whenever we come to God's word, think what 
can we take from this not just for ourselves but to share with others and as our thoughts are lifted uh, and stirred uh, and enlarged let's not be slow to share something of the good of that with one another how should this passage make me think God's word comes to our minds and so we are to think seriously about it but our second great question for any bible passage this evening is this how should this passage make me feel because god's word is not just about uh, speaking to our minds but also uh, to our hearts i've not got so much a, a list of uh, subsidiary questions for you under this second point as just a a few ideas to think about as we come to scripture we need to ask how should this passage make me feel because we need to understand the relationship between our minds and our hearts that though they are related they are not the same thing scripturally it's possible for us to know but not to feel to know the truth but not to feel the truth and we need to feel what we know Not just be content with a a head knowledge, but to desire a heart experience of the truth. We desire to be moved by God's word. And so we need to ask, how should this passage make me feel? This question, it speaks to the the realm of, of desire. That our Christian lives are not just about faith what we believe and obedience what we do our christian lives are about those things they are about faith what we believe and obedience what we do but hear me carefully they are not just about these things they are also about our desires our longings the desires of our hearts The longings of our souls. So how should this passage make me feel? We can think too of our safety in Christ. You see it's possible when we read scripture that texts and passages they can impress upon us God's greatness and we need that and they can uh, press upon us our smallness and, and we need that but if that was all we had then we would be crushed and we would despair but the wonderful thing is that God's greatness and our smallness meet together in the Lord Jesus Christ and we can know that we are safe in Christ And that's safe in Christ. We can acknowledge God's greatness. And we can own our smallness. Without being crushed. And without despairing. Because we are safe. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Or if we had no Christ. Then we would be. Miserable in the extreme. But with Christ. Despite our smallness. Our failure. Our sin. Our whatever. We can know that we're safe and we can delight in our precious Savior. Related to that, we can think about affection for the Lord Jesus Christ. How should this passage make me feel? Would it stir within me affection 
for the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in our understanding of our Savior, it's not enough to simply acknowledge his person, that he is who the scriptures reveal him to be, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Savior of the world. It's not enough even uh, to acknowledge his person and to acknowledge his, his work and to have some uh, working knowledge or understanding of, uh, of why it was necessary for there to be the incarnation and the crucifixion and the resurrection and, and so on. Wonderful as these things are. But the scriptures would take us further than that in the will of God. Further than acknowledging Christ's person. Further than appreciating his work. They would bring us to love and to cherish our precious Savior. How should this passage make me feel? Would it stir my love for Christ and make me prize him more than ever? And something else it would be easy to miss, but I don't think we should. How should this passage make me feel? With our eyes to the horizon, longing for the return of Christ and the joy of heaven. Yes, we are called to live in the present. But we are called to live for the future. And so we should have, choosing my words carefully, a holy, that is holy, H-O-L-Y, not holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, a holy, H-O-L-Y, dissatisfaction with our present existence and experience. Yes, we live in the present. Yes, we don't despise the present, but we live for the future. And we have desires and longings which will not be ultimately fulfilled in the present. And we long for the return of Christ and for the joys of heaven. So let's not settle with the first, for the, just the first question. How should this passage make me think? Important though that first question is. But let's always ask the second question. How should this passage make me feel? That the scriptures might not just affect us up here, but that the scriptures might affect us down here, on the inside, in our hearts, in our souls, deep within. So we're thinking tonight about three great questions for any Bible passage. Number one, how should this passage make me think? Number two, how should this passage make me feel? And our third great question for any Bible passage tonight, how should this passage make me act? Or we might say, not act. Because there may be a negative or a positive application, may it? It may be that a text or passage would have us ask the question, what shouldn't I do or what should I stop doing as a result of, of this text, this passage? Or more positively, it may have us ask, what should I do or what should I start doing as a result of this text and passage? And again, we've sort of touched on this already, but the importance of not just a, an external obedience, but an internal obedience. Not just what does this require of me on the outside, but what does it require of me on the inside too. Let's just think a little about the negative and the positive. In terms of the negative, perhaps the text is making us ask, what shouldn't I do? 
So we read a text, we read a passage, we ask questions like, is anything condemned in this passage? Is anyone chastised in this passage? Are there sins to avoid in this passage? So, for example, you read a verse like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, positive statement, then followed up with this, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. So there we have sexual immorality condemned, a sin to avoid. We're going to take that text seriously. We have to act upon it by avoiding what it's calling us to avoid. But as well as the negative, many texts, many passages have positives for us. The question is not so much what shouldn't I do as what should I do? What should I continue to do? What should I start doing? What should I be doing more of? What do I need to be more zealous about in my Christian life? And there are a number of areas. Let me just highlight a few. It may be that there is a command or there are commands to obey. It may be that there is an example or there are examples to follow. It may be that there is a principle or there are principles to apply. It may be that there is a promise or that there are promises to claim. Let me just give one or two examples. So there may be commandments to obey. Take a chapter like Colossians 3, where there are a number of commands to obey. We're not to lie to one another, verse 9. Husbands are not to be bitter towards their wives, can't remember what verse that was. I've written down the wrong one, but it's somewhere in the middle of Colossians 3. Perhaps I need to take it more seriously. I need to work out where it is, but there we are. Um, fathers are not to provoke their children to wrath, verse 23. So there, you could be reading Colossians 3 in your quiet time tomorrow morning, and, and there are commands there. Not one, but two, three, maybe more. Commands to obey. Or examples to follow. Because we need to understand that so much biblical teaching is enfleshed, if I can put it that way. It's not just that we're told, well, do this. There are, of course, commands that say, do this or don't do that. But, but very often, God's will is enfleshed for us. So it's not always do this, but it's often be like them, be like him, be like her, follow their example, examples to follow, or principles to apply, because in scripture we don't just have commandments, where it's a question of do or don't, obey or disobey, but very often God gives us principles Principles to apply, to work out, to put into practice. So we could think, for example, of the repeated emphasis, both in the Psalms and in the Proverbs, on the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom. That's not a command, but it is a principle. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it's a principle we can apply to every sphere of life. A principle that we have to work out in every situation. What does it mean to fear the Lord and to be wise 
in any given circumstance. Principles to apply. And promises to claim. So we could think, for example, just taking one almost at random, of how both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God says to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There's a promise to claim. A promise to take to God. Lord, you've told me you're never going to leave me or forsake me, so please don't do it now. I take you at your word. A promise to take to ourselves. The Lord's promised he won't leave me or forsake me. So however bereft or desolate I may sometimes feel, the Lord is near, even when it doesn't always feel quite that way. Commands to obey, examples to follow, principles to apply, promises to claim. How should this passage make me act? Just in our closing minutes, very briefly, very superficially really, but... Let's do a worked example. Let's take the passage that we've just read. Imagine one day next week you're you're reading through Romans and you come for your daily reading to Romans 11, 33 to 36. This passage with which we began tonight. And you read the passage and it's familiar perhaps. And it may be a passage that's blessed you in the past, or it may be a passage which you think, well, I I know this is one of those kind of big passages, one of those standout passages, but I've never really quite got it. It's never really quite done it for me. What what, what am I going to get from this passage before I go off to work or whatever uh, this morning? And then you think, now, what what was that he said the other Tuesday night? What were those those three great questions for for any Bible passage? I, I remember How should this passage make me think? How should this passage make me feel? How should this passage make me act? How should this passage make me think? Shouldn't it make me think big thoughts, very big thoughts about God, such as his immensity, verse 33, how immense he is, his self-existence, Verses 34 and 35, the technical word is aseity, but we'll go for self-existence tonight. That God exists of himself, is dependent on no one and nothing. His glory. Verse 36, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. God is immense, he's self-existent, he's glorious. We know these things, but we need to be reminded of them time and again. How should this passage make me think? But we can't stop there, can we? How should this passage make me feel? Shouldn't it make me feel overwhelmed by his glory? Can't think these big thoughts about God without being overwhelmed by his glory. But also be overwhelmed by his grace. That this big God of whom my thoughts are always and only ever going to be too small, that this big God should look on me, that he should be gracious to me, that he should love me, that he should show kindness to me, that he should have mercy upon me. Overwhelmed by his glory, overwhelmed by his grace. And so we should feel so grateful and so thankful when we read a passage like this. 
that this is what God is like. And that he's our God. And he loves us and cares for us. How should this passage make me think? (coughs) How should this passage make me feel? And then before you rush off to work or whatever you're going, how should this passage make me act? Shouldn't it make me love this God? Shouldn't it make me worship him? Shouldn't it make me desire above everything else to please him in my life today? Shouldn't it make me want to serve him in any way I can with the gifts and the talents that he's graciously given me? Shouldn't it make me want to point others to him? I'd be lost without this God. And so many others are lost without him. We've been given the privilege to know him and love him and serve him. And so don't we want others to look to him and to find the grace that has been so freely lavished upon us. Just a few thoughts this evening. Probably haven't told you anything you don't already know. But three great questions for any Bible passage. Next time you come up against a text or a passage and you're thinking, I really don't know how to make head or tail of this. How should this passage make me think? How should this passage make me feel? How should this passage make me act? May the Lord help us, not just when we're together, but when we're apart, to engage seriously with his word this new year. Amen.